The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's 19 after 10 and we're getting into our conversation for this hour. A really important one because it deals with what is happening in our schools. And it, it was, I think, a couple of weeks back we looked at, you know, the challenges that educators are facing in as far as learner behavior and learner discipline is concerned. And you have a a number of schools, including even some of the uh, national school governing bodies that are raising concerns about, uh, you know, declining levels of discipline um, in schools and teachers who find themselves overwhelmed and in some instances Uh, you know, not even wanting to go back to the classroom to teach because they're being threatened, they're being humiliated, they're just being treated badly by some of their learners. Of course, the reverse of that is where you have teachers that assault learners and it's often termed corporal punishment in this country. And the Johannesburg High Court is now hearing a case and it's it's been brought by, in particular, the families of two learners who whose children were assaulted. Now, the, the educators in question were found guilty and they had sanctions imposed uh, on them by the South African Council for Educators. Now, this particular case deals with those sanctions and it says that the punishment for teachers who are found guilty of this behavior has been simply too low and it uses these two particular cases as examples. The organization that has brought this matter before the court is Section 27. The head of education rights program at that organization is Dr. Faranaz Veriava. Uh, Dr. Faranaz, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me on your show. Basil Manuel is the executive director of the National Professional uh, Teachers Organization of South Africa. It's also known as NAPTOSA. Basil, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning from us. Hi, Basil. I think, Farnaz, I want to begin with you because, you know, you are the organization that has brought this matter before a court. Why did you feel that this issue needed to be addressed? And it's interesting that you're also taking it to um, the council that, of course, regulates uh, the accreditation of, of teachers as well. Yes. So, Kathy, let me just start by saying um, tomorrow is June the 16th, and we know that June the 16th was the eruption um, of violence against learners in the townships in Soweto in 1976. Um, when our new constitution came into being, and when the Schools Act was um, promulgated in 1996, one of the first things that happened was that corporal punishment was banned. And underpinning that was moving from a culture or an attempt to move from a culture of violence to a respect for human beings and for uh, a culture of dignity. Those, the whole, the the, the ban on corporal punishment was upheld in several cases, starting with the case of State versus Williams, which was about juvenile whooping, then uh, the Christian education case where Christian schools tried to get an exemption from the corporal punishment ban, and the court said, no, that's not the kind of society we want. 
And more recently, um, I think it was about two years ago, corporal punishment was even banned in the home in a case that was brought by um, mm. a, by a religious organization. So the ban is there. The difficulty we have is enforcing the ban. Um, you know, uh, the General Household Survey says there's something like a million children, a, year, a million children that say that they've experienced corporal punishment. Other surveys <clears throat> say at least 49% of children have experienced corporal punishment. There are different ways that you can manage corporal punishment where, where it's occurring. If you're in the public service, you are disciplined by the provincial education department. Uh, depending on the severity, there's also charges that can be brought in a court of law. This doesn't happen often enough. And in the cases that we took to court, um, the, 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 uh, the cases, uh, the criminal justice system didn't assist those families at all. The body, the professional body, SAFE, is there to ensure that uh, teachers act in accordance with their professional values, one of which is that they can't uh, assault or verbally abuse learners. And when they do, they are subject to particular kinds of sanctions. SAFE has a wide discretion in the kind of sanctions that it can enforce. It can also conduct training. Uh, for example, on how to manage a classroom. You've spoken about the conundrum we experience or we face in our current very violent society, where you have older learners that are presenting a problem in the class. These cases, however, do not fall into those, those categories. And anyway, what we are saying is we need to be thinking better about the kind of training that we can do to look at how we can manage classrooms, particularly in the context of overcrowding and violence in our societies and all of that. But the cases that we brought was a case of two seven-year-olds that were, one of them was hit over the head with a black PVC pipe and had to eventually have brain surgery. Um, the teacher came into the, into the hospital room and said, don't tell anyone or you or else, basically. And the other case was also about a 10-year-old who ended up uh, having ear bleeds and things like that. When states act, they don't act within their discretion, and they don't look at the nature and severity of the offense from what we see, nor do they take into account the principle of the best interest of the learner, who is the victim, as well as the broader learner in the school. In these cases that I mentioned, both teachers got a slap on the wrist with a suspended sentence and were sent back into the classroom. Now, we're not saying they must, in every case, they must be struck off the roll, or even in this case, that they must be struck off the roll. What we are saying is that states must think about what appropriate sentences are and how do you best protect the learners in the classroom. And maybe there could be a whole lot of other things that could have been done to address the kind of violence that these teachers perpetrated. It, it, so, w yeah. w when I look at um, the, the sanction against these teachers, my understanding is that there wasn't even an expectation on them to undergo any form of further training. Um, because, I mean, if you are going to hit a 10-year-old with your hands until that child is bleeding, 
it's also reflective of many issues that you as an individual might be facing, including anger management at the very least. <coughs> and, 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 and there doesn't seem to have been any effort to try and understand what has led to this behavior and the corrective steps that these educators um, could have taken, you know, to, 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 to empower and build themselves. That's the point. And in fact, um, the, the Children's Institute at the University of Cape Town intervened in this case as a friend of the court. And a lot of what they put before the court was uh, to support a kind of more evolved um, kind of uh, list of guidelines that SAFE can use when thinking about appropriate sanctioning of teachers for corporal punishment. Um, so, you know, things about the kinds of trainings that are happening in the country around alternative forms of discipline in the, uh, in, 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 in the classroom and so forth. So that's exactly the kind of conversation we are trying to create in our society and find a more systemic way of enforcing the corporal punishment ban uh, so that society at large can be a more a less mm. violent society. And obviously, our, we start in the classroom. Basil, let me bring you in here. When you look comparatively at what we see in urban areas versus rural areas, would you say that there are particular demographics that lend themselves more towards this kind of abuse? Cassie, uh, in a manner, yes. However, um, sometimes other people hide it better. And I think urban schools are more adept <clears throat> at concealing things than rural schools are. But it doesn't matter where it happens. And I, I want to agree with Fornaz that the, uh, the sanctions must, must uh, suit or must fit the, um, the, the, the flagrant violation of the rules that have occurred. We can't have a situation where sanctions are seen as unjust because after all said and done, uh, people need to see and believe that uh, what has been done in, in the interest of their children is actually correct. And when there's a feeling that it isn't, then, of course, we must look back. Now, I know from that chosen side, we've supported uh, a regular review of the mandatory sanctions uh, policy, for example, because we believe things are changing, there are difficulties, and teachers are facing huge difficulties. But as much as that may be uh, in mitigation, it is also seriously aggravating when you hear that ch children at the age of seven were, were beaten up so badly and then threatened uh, about concealment. Those things certainly must be taken into account before a sanction is approved uh, by the uh, committee. And it sounds to me that, you know, with these two cases especially, there could well have been grounds to bring criminal charges. But I want to hear the views of both you and foreigners on why um, that did not happen. For now, it's 10.30. Let me take you to Liesl Wilson, uh, who will give you the latest news headlines. We continue the conversation that this morning we're looking at corporal punishment in our schools and in particular the kind of punishment or sanction rather um, that is meted out on educators that are found guilty 
uh, of, of, of corporal punishment. I'll take your calls on the subject on 011-714-2006. On the WhatsApp line, you can send your voice notes and messages on 0614-104-107. And on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag the SAFM Talking Point. And of course, we've been looking in particular at this case that is before the court. And these two, these two teachers, uh, just to remind you, uh, it, it's it's Kuzo Francina Satere and Vangile Miriam Mugwena. Those are the two teachers uh, that uh, have been implicated in this in this case that is currently before court. Mugwena beat a seven-year-old, as you heard from Faranas, with a PVC pipe. It caused head injury. This child needed to end up having brain surgery. And this teacher still, when this child was in hospital, went to the child and threatened the child and said, don't you dare say anything about what happened. The other teacher is accused of beating um, a 10-year-old on the head to the point that the child started bleeding out of their ears. And yet, the kind of punishment that was meted out simply doesn't reflect that. You know, they're still allowed to continue teaching. They weren't required to undergo any form of rehabilitative processes, no workshops, no nothing. And and this is part of uh, what is being argued in court right now. Um, Faranaz, why do you think that these cases didn't end up before the courts? Because I mean, just a, a cursory reading of what happened seems to me that there would be enough grounds for some some form of prosecution. You know, um, both in both cases, my understanding is that the parents of these children did try to pursue the criminal justice system. And in any case where there is violence at, uh, perpetrated by a teacher, we think of it in terms of a three-phase process, which is the criminal process, if it's a public sector employee, uh, it's the state process, um, and then the third process would be the professional body, which is the safe process and the process that we are taking on review. For some reason, uh, and it speaks to many of the cases in the criminal justice system, I think they said there wasn't sufficient evidence or they refused to take the case further. But mm. obviously, in both these cases, the teachers pleaded guilty in the, in, in the safe processes. So, you know, I, I, I don't understand why those processes weren't taken further within the criminal justice system. But what I just, I do want to address something that I think Basil said which is that they did support the mandatory sanctions uh, which were developed by SAFE. Now, the mandatory sanctions is what SAFE is alleging that they stuck to in these cases, and which is why that they handed down the suspended sentences. Um, and I just want to say to, to Basil that we think that this is part of the problem, and what we have asked, is that the mandatory sanctions actually be revised mm -hmm. to include a set of principles that are more child-centered and that are more rights-based so that um, when these, these, these um, sanctions are meted out, they take into account the impact on, on the learner, um, whether the, the kind of dangers that would be involved if the learner 
if the teacher goes back into the classroom, whether or not the teacher has been appropriately rehabilitated before she or he goes back into the classroom. And also just to say that the SAFE Act does allow for a discretion in the handing down of sanctions Mm -hmm. in the cases of corporal punishment. So for us, the mandatory sanctions is a big part of the problem that needs to be revised. Let, let me bring into this conversation George Muruasui, uh, who is the South African Council of Educators Ethics Manager. George, good morning to you. Good morning, Casey. Good morning, Bevel. Good morning, uh, Anal. Hello, and mm-hmm. thank you for having me, and good morning to the listeners, too. Sure. George, I want you to tell us about these mandatory sanctions and and how far they actually go. Um, you heard Farana saying that as Section 27, they believe that it is what is contained in these sanctions that needs to be reviewed because it simply doesn't go far enough when teachers have really committed the worst here. Uh, thank you, Casey. Casey, the safe mandatory sanctions are developed or were developed in line with Section 5 of the Safe Act. Uh, Section 5 of the Safe Act, uh, of the Safe Act deals with sanctions that the Council may uh, impose in the event of a transgression. For example, it says, an educator found guilty may be cautioned or reprimanded. They may be given a fine. They may they may have their name removed from the register, be it indefinitely or for a certain period. That function may be suspended depending on what happened there. The presiding officer at the time will look at the circumstances and determine what is uh, or what may be suitable, a sanction under the circumstances. As I said, they are in mm. line with Section 5 because it's only these few that were set out. Then this council went further to say, let's amplify them. There are so many times of a type of transgression. Then let's develop a set of sanctions that are consistent with and in line with Section 5 of the Faith Act. Therefore, for example, I'll make an example. In the event uh, a teacher sexually harassed a child, mm. counsel said, we will remove a teacher's name from the register. It must be like that. But they amplified them. They, it, it's a long list. Section 5 only gives you five things, but the list that I'm talking about is quite lengthy. Therefore, in reaching a suitable sanction, the presiding officer in a disciplinary hearing will consider the circumstances and merits and the type of evidence presented before him or her to come up to a decision. These mandatory sanctions will deal with, for example, corporal punishment. In the event, for example, there's injuries on a child, this is what must happen. In the event there are no injuries, this is what must happen, and so forth. Now, coming to your introduction when you started, uh, what you mentioned to the listener, on investigation, other additional information came to the fore, which led to the type of sanctions that were emitted out. What, what was that information, George? For, for, for example, the, it, it, it was alleged that the child was bitten and the child bled 
uh, through her ears or from the ears. But on evidence, it transpired there were pre-existing medical conditions with regard to the child. It's not about uh, being... Uh, I'm trying to find the, the way... Insensitive to the case, not at all. My heart is and will always be at and in the best interest of a child. So I was just <clears throat> searching out what was found there to say, no, there was actually pre-existing medical conditions and so forth. Do, so do, does, George, of- George, doesn't that make it worse? In the sense mm. that if this child has pre-existing medical conditions and is assaulted, and that then potentially threatens those conditions, threatens, you know, puts this child's life at even more <laughs> risk. Does it not make it worse? It, it, it's a relative case. In this instance... All right, uh, let me do this, George. We've got, a break. Instance, We've got a break coming up. I'm going to take the break, and then we'll continue with you after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on 011-714-2006. That's the number to dial to get in touch with us on the studio line. So, so George, you were saying it's relative? No, I think it is relative. And like uh, I said, the way I say it shouldn't be construed as uh, George or the council being insensitive, I was just trying to shed light into what happened because council takes issues of corporal punishment in a very serious light. However, as, as I said, there were uh, pre-existing medical conditions. The complaint was that the child was assaulted. As a result, she began to bleed, but we weren't told of these conditions. But on investigations, then other information came to the fore to say, actually, the condition was already inexistent at the time. It wasn't a fair result. I, I still maintain uh, that it makes it even worse, George. I, I hear what you are saying, Katie, but as I said, those who were there and confronted with the fact there at the time uh, thought it fit to come to this type of a decision. And what about the seven-year-old who was beaten with a pipe? A seven-year-old was beaten with a pipe and a decision was arrived at after a guilty uh, plea by the accused in question. And taking into account, as I say, it's unfortunate that in all inst- in many instances, uh, people might expect things to happen in a particular way. However, a presiding officer in a hearing gets confronted by circumstances at the event. At y- yes, the I want you to hearing. tell me about what some of those circumstances are, George. When one pleads guilty, I, I, I will not speak for the presiding officers as I was not one, but it is known that in arriving at a just and equitable uh, sanction, the presiding officer will consider the uh, circumstances that are presented to him at the time. Mitigating, aggravating at the time to arrive at a suitable sanction. And in this instance, as I said, the presiding officers thought it fit to Give and I must say the sanction that was given to an extent was harsh. 
a suspended sentence on one is harsh. It's a sword that hangs on your head for the duration in an effort to correct. And there is an argument that why were they not referred for counseling? I've already said I will not speak for them, but uh, we didn't have evidence that these were angry teachers, for, a, for an example. They are why angry, why they were are they not figures. struck off the role is the question. They were removed from the role, but the removal was suspended. They were struck off, but the striking off was suspended. But the presiding officers can give reasons why they did not say you leave today. So they were removed, but it was <coughs> suspended. And Section 5 says that is allowed. I, 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 still want to, I still want to know the mitigating factors in, in the case of, of a seven-year-old, you know, <coughs> that what, what persuaded, in the same way that you told us about the 10-year-old, tell us about what persuaded, um, you know, the, 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 the presiding officers to find in the way that they did. I am not at liberty at this stage to accept those out and as I do not have their record at hand. But as I say, there were circumstances. Each one, I said, I will not speak for the presiding officers because they were confronted by circumstances there to which they could best answer. I wish I had their records. I would read them out for you. If... Yeah. Kathy, but you have to let me reply. Uh, Faranaz, yeah, you can come in. Yes, thank you. Because... Um, George just said he's been talking about mitigating and aggravating uh, circumstances in the decisions being handed down, and he spoke about the fact that there was a pre-existing mental condition um, that that led to 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 the bleeding, a uh, medical condition, and all of that that led to the bleeding. Now, I agree with you that if there is a medical condition that is even that I would think of that as an aggravating rather than a mitigating mm-hmm. circumstance. But more than that, I think it's very disingenuous to say that that was part of why uh, of what they looked at in mitigation. Because one of the things that happened in both these cases was that there was no evidence that they listened to anything in mitigation or aggravation. That's on the record. And in fact, one of the things that we argued as a ground for a review was that the voices of the families, whether it was the parent or the child, they were not asked, which is something that the SAFE Act requires. They were never ever, or the Code of Conduct requires, they were never ever asked of their opinions um, when, 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 when the particular sanction mm-hmm. was handed down. So, you know, there, there wasn't any uh, real um, uh, 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 ventilating of extenuating or aggravating circumstances. And to say that goes against what they have put on the papers in our case. And the other thing I want to say about the 5C discretion that allows them to give various things is that it, it, the, full, the full wording should also be mentioned by George, who is at stage, to say that where a suspended sentence is handed down, it can also be, it also says it can be handed down subject to certain conditions. And those kinds of conditions could be going for anger management uh, classes. This is not a slap on the wrist. This was abuse in the one case. This was assault. 
And in the other case, it, a strong case could be made out for the fact that it was a soap with GBH mm. on a minor mm. to put those learners, to put those teachers back into the classroom and to still say on this show that um, they were struck off the roll. The effect was not that they were struck off the roll. The effect was to put them back in the classroom. So let's be real about this. And, you know, the, one of the mothers um, of, of, of these two kids was sitting with us yesterday during the hearing, and she was very upset uh, about the fact that these kids went back into, the teachers went back into the classroom. Not necessarily for her child, who is no longer at that school now, but for the sake of other children that she says remain at risk of being hurt by these uh, teachers. And that's exactly the point. Mm. How do you put someone that's guilty of an assault really back into the classroom? Vessel, let me give you a chance to come in before I take our callers. Uh, thank you, Cathy. Two things, first of all, uh, just two thumbnails. We supported the review of the of the mandatory sanctions, and we also questioned whether we shouldn't have a minimum uh, sanction rather than capping it, because we've got to allow that discretion to come through. But I want to focus on the teachers for a second, Cathy. These teachers seriously need help. The level of violence perpetrated on a child by these two ladies is shocking. And that says that they need help for themselves first, and then also for the school and for the children. It is not correct to just assume that it's okay. There are many, many teachers in a situation where psychological help is definitely, definitely needed, and others like uh, uh, anger management, etc. I'm just really disappointed that we haven't put more stipulations in there with that uh, suspension of sentence that is going to ensure that these teachers come out better at the end of the day. Uh, Nothing absolutely. has actually been done mm. uh, in that respect. Mm. And the fact that they, they, they're back in the classroom without any of these steps is perhaps what is even more concerning because what is to say that it's not happening again now, that they, they, they aren't uh, continuing to, to behave in that way towards other learners? Absolutely, Cathy. And, and, and this, is, this is the point. There are so many cases, and George is correct, there are so many of such a wide variety. But if you just mind a little deeper, many of these teachers actually need help. And that has to be a serious consideration whenever uh, sanctions are passed, that people be helped to, to come out better at the end mm. for both sides of, of, of the playing field here. Let me take Fred in Polokwane. Good morning, Fred. Polokwane, good morning, Fred. Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Very fine, man. You're I've been on the line. Thank you very much. Finally, I'm in. Kathy, mm. um, you know, there's a, there's a, a narration that says prevention is better than cure. And with this narration, I would want to say, looking at the school's mm. act, and also considering the current situation of people's lives and looking that of the, the learners themselves, I feel like really it's not communicative, communicating the current situation of life. And I'll give practical uh, reasons or reasons. 
if you look at the, uh, we do understand the fact that there are teachers who actually are abusive uh, towards our learners. And in the other hand, there are learners who are abusing teachers. But the question comes, and which is the question in law? Because we cannot just keep on saying, uh, if something happens, we'll go to court. If something happens, we'll go to court. There are situations that we need as parents or as parents, teachers, student association, holistically, uh, we must take the responsibility. But believe you me, looking or considering the current act, it, it is promoting an imbalance. Teachers are not protected. You see, I can rest assured you, I'm not talking as a teacher. I'm in a different field. I can rest assured you, the manner in which you see teachers being killed by learners, and as a result, there is nothing. Just imagine a learner killing a teacher and a learner being taken to jail, case dismissed or case, whatever the sanction is given. I, I believe this is the time at which we really need to have a situation where in the, 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 the Schools Act is re-looked and the Schools Act uh, is re-looked in a manner that really it promotes a way of learners respecting teachers. It is very very painful to be honest with you to see if you look in most of the schools uh, I, I, I'm sorry to use the word most of the people who are teaching there are the, the youth people if I'm to put it most of them because we're promoting youth employment are the youth people especially in primary schools and uh, in secondary schools of, of course and if you look into these people who are teaching there I can rest assured especially the women one <clears throat> are more undermined by learners, and they are not protected. And over and above, we're having, uh, you know, council like says that comes before us and say, you know, teachers, these teachers. At the end of the day, I'm telling you, Kathy, this council must go and teach these learners because they don't want to come with strategies that aims to protect the teachers at schools. Mm-hmm. And it's very painful. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm not a teacher, but I'm saying this looking at the trends of, you know, news that basically... Comes, 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 comes to the public. It's worrying. And, and, and when you look into a way in which the intervention has to be made by both the body being the SACE and then the Department of Education, it's, there's nothing there, absolutely nothing. It seems like the main aim is to nail teachers all the time. I think it's high time that the Department of Education must come clean and make it a point that they are revenging this particular act. Okay. It's not communicating and protecting the teacher. All right, Fred, thanks for that view. Fred out in Polukwane. I wonder how much of what Fred is saying applies to the two cases that are before the court. Malusin Polukwane, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Yes. Good morning to listeners. Uh, Kathy, quickly. If the teacher is, let's say, they are found with this case, they are found guilty. They are given a sentence of what? My question is: What about the learners who misbehave to push the teacher to that extent? Is there anything that is done by the department to actually work on the discipline of the learners? I'm basing my, my, my argument or my opinion on what the um, MEC of Education in Houting has said in one of the schools. Don't make your ill discipline of your children the problem for teachers. As we speak, some of our families, I'm talking about the family member, who is in a, uh, is a, she's a teacher, 
she is in an in 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 a in a, in a psychiatric hospital. They are depressed because of the kids. We're not solving the problem. We just are taking teachers. Yes, there are those who abuse kids. Yes, that is true. But how do we solve the problem of ill discipline? Because if we solve the problem of ill discipline, Kathy, there won't be teachers who will be forced to apply corporate punishment to kids. Okay. All right, Malusi, let's leave it there. Uh, Malusi, out in Polokwane. Look, Basil, I I don't know if the two are mutually exclusive, right? Because at the end of the day, you're talking about, you know, minors and and adults. Can we ever get to a point where we say uh, a young child has provoked a teacher enough to deserve um, whatever physical punishment has been meted out on them? And, And that's part of the suggestion that that is being made here. Kathy, I can't agree with that. Whilst we must acknowledge that there are some serious issues around discipline, however, how does and has violence such as as this level uh, perpetrated on children ever solved it? Is the school better off for a child being beaten up? And I want to tell you, it doesn't. We've been through this time and time again. Uh, and, and, And the level... Of, of violence perpetrated is also a question because even when corporal punishment was permissible, we always said at the time, and I was a teacher then too, said it can't be done with, with the purpose to injure a child, but it is not allowed, full stop. And we, we, we can't talk that better. They can't do this. We've got to find other creative means. Mm. And yes, I agree with the caller that says uh, the department needs to also be called to account. What support are we giving our teachers? If unions are not giving support, uh, nobody else is. But that cannot be the excuse to say this is then okay to beat up a child with a pipe or to, 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 to have a child with a brain injury. Surely it, it speaks to a level of violence that, is, that you don't even want to see on the street, let alone in a place that should be a safe space. Mm-hmm. Kathy, schools must be safe spaces for children. If they are not, then we are not serving our children in our community. George, let me bring you in here very briefly, wrap up for me. Are you going to be reviewing those mandatory sanctions? Yes, we review our sanctions uh, on an annual basis, and uh, we will, of course, be reviewing them. As usual as, 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 as planned so yes the answer all right Faranaz, where to from here for you as section 27 well you know the one thing if anything that happened from this case it is, is that i hope it um spurred the right kinds of conversations which is that we need to think about we agree that there, uh, there's violence in society we agree that corporal punishment is, is abolished. Um, but what we need to do now is think about the problems that teachers are having in schools, where, where schools are microcosms of broader violent societies. But the solution can't be more violence because violence begets violence. What we need to do, yes, we need to review the mandatory sanctions, but also we need to be, I think, as... Um, uh, as was said by Basil, that maybe we should think about minimum sentences and other sentences, and we need a child-centered approach to these sentences 
And we need to think about probably getting some level of um, trauma counseling, psychological counseling, anger management, and all of these things set up in schools uh, for teachers. And we have to have programs around discipline for learners and at the same time um, equip teachers better around managing these difficult classroom situations. And I think that's where the conversation has to be taken by SAFE, because as much as SAFE can discipline um, or can, um, uh, you know, has, has, has the obligation to discipline teachers for violating their code, they also have uh, a training mandate. Oh. And I think that training mandate should be explored as much as their other roles um, as SAFE. Let me thank you all for your time and for coming on to the show to contribute uh, to this conversation. Yeah, I agree with the sentiment that says let's equip teachers, let's empower teachers. But it cannot be that a seven-year-old, you know, who's beaten to uh, to that extent, that we can then say that this child, you know, did enough for it to ever be justified. I I don't agree with that view at all. It's just after 11 o'clock. Liesl Wilson has your latest news update.